and welcome to Elixir Talk, your friendly neighborhood Elixir podcast kicking off 2020 with a, uh, well, it's not a special episode, it's just just uh, the regular stuff with me, your co-host Desmond Bowie, and my other co-host, Chris Bell. Co-hosts all round. Hi, Desmond. Welcome to the new decade. I haven't done that intro in a while, and honestly, I got a little nervous that I was going to mix our names up. Uh, you know that always throws me as well, so I'm glad you didn't do that. But how's it going? How's 2020 been for you so far? Uh, it's been off to a good start. It's um, Yeah, I had some travel at the end of the holidays, visiting you in New York, which is pretty cool. Uh, got to high-five you in person. And um, back here, digging into a lot of work, really. Uh, yeah, busy with work. That's kind of the main thing. Nice. So you got a busy 2020 already. It's always yeah. good. Yeah, it's kind of cool because we have like um, a pretty clear roadmap, which I don't know if I don't know what people listening to this, what kind of backgrounds you guys come from. But uh, a startup with a clear roadmap is sort of an interesting place to be. It's not all that common. Definitely. No, that's great. Good stuff. And it's going to be a busy month because uh, I believe next month you've got a conference coming up as well, right? Oh my God, Chris, you're exactly right. Uh, MPEX LA is coming to Los Angeles, California on Saturday, February 8th, 2020. It's a one-day single-track Elixir conference, which you probably heard us talk about. It's uh, We started it several years ago in New York. It's the only only tech conference held in a jazz club. In LA, we have a a sweet warehouse. Um, But a pretty good lineup of talks this year. Uh, check out our website, mpex.co slash LA for the full list of speakers. Today, I will highlight Bruce Tate, whom you may have heard of, uh, goes around the internet as Red Rapids, has written several books. And he will be giving a talk called Bring on the Worker Bees, Designing Elixir Systems with OTP. So if you would like to learn a little more about how do I um, how do I structure my code to leverage OTP principles to build reliable uh programs, come and check this out. It's something that you hear a lot in the ecosystem or people talking about, oh, Elixir and Erlang are this great platform for distributed and reliable programs. Well, how do you actually do that? Great question. Bruce is going to deliver the goods. So come to MPEX in LA, check out that and some of our other great talks. And um, if you're also interested, Chris and I are doing a day of training or a training the day beforehand. We'll be doing an intro training. Um, for folks who are looking to get the basics of Elixir down and brush up on some of the fundamentals. So be sure to check our website for more information. Awesome. Yes, very excited to be there and doing some more training. So uh, just building on that Bruce Tate being an MPEX LA announcement. So I'm I'm guessing that's building off of the back of his book that he's published recently with James Gray as well. Is Mm -hmm. that right? I think so. So have you read that yet? I have not. No, me either. I keep hearing really good things about it. So maybe in a future episode, we can have one of them on the podcast and they can talk a bit more to us about it. So that would be very cool. Um, Very, very quick MPEX NYC plug as well. So LA happening 8th of February. MPEX NYC is happening on May the 20th. So if you are a speaker and you maybe, or you have never spoken before, but you maybe have an Elixir talk in your back pocket or something you want to talk about, put in a talk submission for MPEX NYC. So uh, the CFP is open from now until I think it's the 15th of March. So you've got plenty of time from when this podcast comes out to when you can submit. Um, also, if you want any help or you just want to bounce ideas around, both Desmond and myself have had quite a bit of experience 
giving talks, listening to talks, uh, receiving CFPs for talks. So we'd be more than happy to help you out, as would anyone else in the MPEX team. So um, all of this you can find on the MPEX website, as Desmond mentioned, which is mpex.co. And then for NYC, it's forward slash NYC. So hopefully see you there and hopefully see you speaking. Yeah, it's a great experience. If you speak, you get a free flight out there, free, free stay in a nice hotel and a wonderful speaker's dinner. Absolutely. Um, so you may have noticed that we haven't actually put out a podcast for a while, um, especially if you're one of our regular listeners. So first of all, thank you for being a regular <laughs> listener. And then secondly... Desmond and I have <laughs> slightly fallen off the wagon of our recording schedule. Um, so we wanted to be completely honest with all of you uh, and tell you that basically both of us have taken startup jobs where we are both CTOs. Um, and as a result, both of us are pretty busy. I think that's fair to say, right? Yeah, that's a summary. I it, And I think that there is no way that we don't want to do this. We are just trying to make it work around our lives as well and make sure that we do something other than programming on the side. So um, we're trying to have a nice work-life elixir balance. Um, both of us help organize conferences. Both of us do other things on the side. So uh, you might see a slowdown on our recording schedule and maybe not be quite so regular as we have been in the past. Um, but, you know, we're here. We, w- we want to do this. We love all of you. We love doing this thing for the community. So we c- we hope we can keep it up, but we just wanted to be completely transparent about that. Yeah, folks, we uh, we wanted to avoid the situation where a podcast just stops coming out. You never hear from them again. And everyone's like, what happened to such and such? And uh, I mean, we do love doing the show. We love uh, connecting with you all. Um, yeah. So we think it's, it's more sustainable for us if we just dial it back a little bit. So we hope you'll understand. Uh, I hope to have more updates on my truck. Uh, which I'm sure you're all dying to hear about. So stay tuned for that. Um, and yeah, we'll see you uh, at the next episode. Well, I mean, we still have this episode, but we're not going anywhere. We're just uh, we're just spacing it out a bit. Exactly. So, um, yeah. I mean, we do have some exciting guests coming up on the show pretty soon as well. Um, we also have a few episodes lined up in a back pocket that we'll be publishing pretty soon. Um, so hopefully you're listening to this in order. Uh, we are actually recording this one at the very start of the year, so we can say Happy New Year to you all. Um, and yeah, we're, we're, we're excited about 2020. I don't know about you, Desmond. I'm, I'm excited. I am, and 2020 kicked off with a couple of exciting Elixir announcements. Yeah, let's talk a bit about that. Um, so first of all, the big one that literally happened yesterday for us, or sometime in the future for you, uh, <laughs> or sorry, sometime in the past, <laughs> Time, time zones, times, date times, <laughs> all of it, you know, it's all hard. So, uh, but Plataforma Tech, which you may know as uh, Jose Valim, a wonderful creator of the Elixir language. He was a co-founder of Plataforma Tech. Um, they have been a huge support uh, in the Elixir community. They were just acquired by one of their customers. So that was a big, big announcement this week. And there was a bit more detail on a blog post that we will link to in the show notes uh, about what's happening with their open source projects. Um, I do have to say that I saw this announcement and I immediately, in one of my slacks, I basically faked a, <laughs> faked a quotation from the blog post that said that Elixir was going away. 
um, and was now owned by Sun Microsystems. That is definitely not happening, and I just want to stress that. Um, that was just a troll to my friends. Uh, but what's actually happening is um, nothing Nothing is happening to the Elixir language. Uh, Jose is still going to be on the core team, and they're still going to be... Uh, the language is still going to be maintained by the Elixir core team. Um, and all of the other open source projects are under Platforma Tech uh, are going to be basically transferred and everything is going to be rosy in that world. So nothing bad coming out of this. I think it's actually kind of interesting and good news, especially for the people um, mm-hmm. at Platforma Tech. I think AquaHire is always interesting. I'm sure that was a good decision for all those people there, and I'm sure it's been pondered over by the management of that company. So not much to say around that. But I think for the Elixir language itself, um, I think it could be really great to have it owned by some kind of foundation or something where um, you know this, this language can be a very separate thing from the company that incubated it. Obviously, we're very, very grateful to Platforma Tech for all of the years of support. Um, and I know Jose has been pretty much like working on uh, Elixir full time for quite some time and in a cons- consulting capacity as well. So I, I'm I'm excited. What's your take? What's my take? Um, I don't know. I mean, when I read the announcement, I had the immediate reaction of like, oh, crap, what's going to happen to the language? You know, I assume the worst. And of course, that's not happening. Um I don't know. I think that it's like, I haven't talked to anyone there, so I'm just going to engage in rampant speculation for a moment. Uh, my my take is that, yeah, this they did some work for this company. The company liked their engineers, liked the way they do things, and just plucked that. But they weren't really interested in the open source uh, work. They weren't as interested in the community, and so they were happy to say, all right, we'll, we'll just let you guys do whatever you want with that. And so I don't see much changing with Elixir the language. Um, my guess is that uh, Jose now has full time to just do whatever um, he wants, including working on the language, or I suppose not working on the language because it's almost done, right? <laughs> but um, I mean, the, the interesting thing is, so now the language is not associated with a uh, – with a for-profit company. So I think one mm-hmm. like interesting thing about a language coming out of a company is that it, it tends to be more pragmatic. It tends to be driven by certain use cases, uh, whether it's a language or whether it's a framework. So that's something I usually like to see as opposed to a language like Scala, which came out of academia. Um, and I just think that provides a nice like focus um, on what should go into this, what's important, what are people using it for? And I mean, I think that they, the, the folks on the core team get enough feedback from the community about mm-hmm. what's important. So I don't have any real concerns about that. That's just sort of a, a general thing that I've seen. Right. So, I, I also think there's like, there's other good examples of like software coming out of foundations as well, right? These days, I think Python is a big, big example where not necessarily owned by a single company. True, but Guido worked at, um, he was at Dropbox for a long time. That's true, that's true, yeah. I I mean, and then obviously we've got things, more modern languages like your Swifts and your Kotlins that are very grounded in uh, companies. And then even Go as well, like we saw Mm -hmm. like a big example in the community where it was like actually kind of being held back in some ways by the by uh being incubated at google but 
I don't know. I would I would argue the opposite. I would say uh, because it has Google behind it, it's gotten a lot more adoption than it may have otherwise. Mm. Now, granted, nah. I think that's more because, you know, Google's Google. And so if you can get a large company behind it, then, I mean, that just has its own momentum. Like, pick any Microsoft language. Right. I mean, is C Sharp successful on its own? Like, you can't even imagine that without Microsoft. No, it's true. It's true. I, 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 I tend to think that, like, we as a community, like, we have now, like, much bigger companies who are backing the language and sponsoring it in other ways as well. Um, more funded startups using it who are contributing back. And I think, like, that can be a really positive thing. And those use cases can help shape more of a, like, well-rounded set of things that we're working towards um, rather than, like, a single company driving it, you know? Yeah. And I mean, again, let's assume that uh, the platform tech founders got enough money out of this so that they don't have to work anymore. Um, then, yeah, they're, you know, they don't have to take the job. I mean, I assume that the, like, you know, the Ken Thompsons of the world, when they go to work at Google, they don't need jobs either. Right. They're just enticed by the ability to work on big problems, do whatever they want. Of course, I think they joined a different Google than we have today. So mm. uh, I think the That's calculus true. was different then. Yeah, I'm. I think like all around, I think it's probably a good move for, you know, for Elixir. I'm. It's it's going to be interesting to see what happens with with regard to Jose's time, I guess specifically, right? Like, I guess we can't really speculate, Jose. Like, sorry if we're speculating and you're listening and you're like, that's completely wrong. I've been doing this open source all this time anyway, and nothing's going to change. But um, yeah, I mean, the best thing I can hope for is like more companies contributing. Um, it being separate, more time from the folks like Jose, and hopefully we can get to a place where we can sponsor more people to work on the Elixir language full time. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that was a big, that was a big theme of ours last year that we were trying to pursue around mm-hmm. like how can we help and how can we fund this kind of thing. Um, and obviously now we have um, the Erlang Ecosystem Foundation. First of all, I think it's kind of good that Elixir isn't incubated underneath that, um, but. I don't know. What do you think? We'll see. Honestly, I'm not worried about any of these developments. I think it's exciting for uh, the folks that started and ran Platformatech. And, um, you know, I want to think that their work on Elixir and the the other open source stuff helped contribute to this milestone. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I just want to say congratulations to them. I'm I'm really not worried about anything happening to the language. Uh, Right. And so I don't view this as a positive or negative it's just life goes on just is yeah 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 no it's true it's true it's also like just one last point i think platform attack like they did a open source broadway which was a fantastic yeah. kind of build on top of gen stage I, I also think did gen stage come out of there as well i think it might have been kind of underneath that name so. so there's been some really great open source projects so thank all of you who work there and have spent your time on doing that i think it's awesome and hopefully you're all uh doing well off of the back of this so yes so i read on uh, hacker news that this company that bought them um is a brazilian bank and they are big users of closure ah yeah um apparently they have one of the largest closure teams in the world uh so i don't know what that could mean for their team, although I'm not sure how much like Elixir work Platformatech was doing. I think that they were doing a lot of Rails. Um, mm. So, 
What does that say about the community, eh? It's also a big company, so there might be yeah. room for you know plenty of plenty Multiple of teams of developers in there. Yeah, no, I'm sure, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I'm, uh, I'm hoping that 2020 for Elixir and the community yields a lot, or well, yields some more growth. I think that um, we're just reflecting back a bit about like last year, like. I think there was a point where in 2017, 2016, there felt like there was a bit more momentum around. Um, and I, f- I feel like that slowed down with regard to like number of different people putting out blog posts, um, just kind of engagement back from the community. And I'm mm-hmm. hoping we can foster a bit more of that now. I, mm-hmm. I, I've had this thing recently where I've been like, I go to Elixir forum, I see the same faces. I go on projects, I see the same faces. Um, and I, I'm, I think it's amazing that we are getting that kind of level of contribution consistently from those people. Don't get me wrong, but I also think that as a community, we need to be continuously branching out and we need to see more and more contributions from more people to have a healthy kind of vibrant dynamic community where these people don't feel like they just get burnt out because they're shouldering a lot of the burden. Right. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm really, really hoping we can see a bit more of that. Um, I think it starts with all of us, right? Like it starts with everyone out there if you've got like more blog posts to write, I know medium is like a dying medium weirdly because of all the paywalls they put up. So um, I know there's been a few more developer focused communities like dev.2. I don't know if you've mm-hmm. been reading that. Yeah. Um, but I also think hopefully there'll be a bit more of a resurgence in people's personal blogs um, <laughs> and we can see a bit more writing elsewhere. But yeah, I like, if you've got something that you've worked on, I think it's so good to just write a blog post. I am like the worst that I'm like the huge biggest hypocrite right now because I haven't written a blog post for like two years, probably. Mm-hmm. I have like 50 drafts in my medium of posts that I haven't published. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I would just love to see more and more things coming out of the community. So. Yeah, it seemed like 2019 was the year of a lot of companies using Elixir and yeah. a lot of big companies using Elixir. Uh, the real real and Brex and um, who else? Anyway, plenty of other large companies that uh, we won't mention here. And but it's still a lot of. You're right. I see a lot of the same people online or it. Uh, not so much at meetups. I guess that's a little more vibrant. But yeah. I mean, we've talked a lot about how do you get more people involved in this. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we've offered trainings to uh beginners but that hasn't taken up as much and i i wonder if it's like is it getting more people on board is it uh taking people who are already on board and interested and just like getting them more involved um Mm. i don't know like people ask me sometimes about how community works and how do you build it and like i don't really know uh my philosophy has just been you create the environment and then the right people show up and you know, if they're interested, then they continue to get engaged. I mean, I don't think that's something that we can, like, foment. No, I don't think so either. I think it's really about, like, we just need to make sure we're showing that there is a a good depth of libraries. There is a good ecosystem behind this thing. There is a there is a growing, vibrant community, growing, diverse, vibrant community of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that starts with, like, being open and welcoming and making sure we're doing all those kinds of things as much as possible. And then also just making sure that 
we are publishing packages. We are, you know, there is a good open source kind of movement. There is good reference implementations. There is certainly in this community no shortage of books. I will say, I think that's one area we've really excelled, like, and also podcasts and also conferences. <laughs> Apparently, we're doing very well on that front as well as uh, people who both run a podcast and a conference. Um, you know, I guess we over-index on that. But I, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy to see a lot of those sides of things. And like, you know, there's some... There's such good literature out there that if you want to buy something and pick it up, like to get started. And I think that that makes a big difference. But um, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm excited to see a bit more coming this year. Well, speaking of things that are coming, uh, what we also got today was the release of Elixir 1.10 RC. So the release candidate... RC0. RC0, sorry. The first release candidate for uh, the new minor version of Elixir is out. Yes. So some nice new features in here for a start. Um, first of all, they bumped the OTP minimum version to 21, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Hard bump. Um, so actually trying to get more in line. So we're actually at OTP 22 is the most recent version that's out there. Um, and do they release every year or is it every six months? Every six months. Okay. Yeah. So, that, so you know, Elixir's a little bit behind uh, on catching up with those features, but that's that's often for support reasons as well. Um, so in, in this release, there is a hard dependency on 21 plus. Um, and that's mostly so that you can use, um, Erlang and OTP's new logger. Um, and there's also, and this is something that we have an episode that we're going to release pretty soon. Um, there's also two new guards that are coming out as well. So, um, is it was OTP 20 or 21 that released these kind of new guards where you can dig into a map. Um, and and uh, Elixir's actually making use of those now with an is struct and an is map key, two new guards that you'll be able to use. So I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah, I'm personally excited about those. Although you still can't see what the value of a key is in the map. Right. So I wonder like how... Let's talk about the use case for... Well, should we dig into a use case or should we talk about other exciting things? Because I'm certainly... I think we should talk about... Yeah, more things. Other things? Okay. There's quite a lot. Well, I'm pretty excited about um, – they have – they added uh, an argument to enum.sort um, to easily reverse a collection. Uh, there was a default sort order in Elixir, which was ascending. And if you wanted to sort in a different order or if you had to – let's say you were comparing non-primitives like daytimes, you would have to pass a comparison function in that um, – mm that did the comparison for you and sorted things properly. Whereas now you can just pass an atom ascending or descending. Ascending is optional because that's the default. But you can pass in descending and it will sort them in the correct order. Uh, so I'm, I'm not sure how that works under the hood. I assume it doesn't just do like sort and then list reverse. But uh, huh. it's that's pretty useful. It's a pretty useful edge to have rounded off. Yeah, no, definitely. It's a, it's a really nice API improvement. Um, and then the other thing I liked with that is you can actually now pass a module that will implement a comparison function as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can get those kind of semantic comparisons just off the bat, which is really, really nice. Mm-hmm. So you can literally just do enum.sort something, pass in a module as a second arg as well, um, and it will use those comparison functions that you can implement yourself. Yeah. So that, that seems like a nice addition, definitely. I think so. And then uh, the other thing that I'm 
pretty excited about is XUnit has a uh, it's a, gotten a little more helpful when you do assertions that um, that you're asserting on the shape of a structure. So uh, yeah, this in, is cool. Yeah, in the past, if you did assert and then you had like some piece of a map, for example, and then just the single equals and then uh, an expression or a data structure, the diff would look kind of funny if things didn't line up because um, it would basically show you the entire uh, match and say like, oh, these two things are not right. Like figure it out. And depending on how you formatted your code, it could be difficult to read. And uh, yeah, it was just another another minor annoyance, um, but would, you know, could be solved by writing your assertions independently, but it's also really nice sometimes to just write it as a match. Well, now um, those matches have better error messages. So it will show both the left hand and the right hand sides uh, and then highlight the things that didn't match in red much as uh, it does now with numbers that don't line up or um, yeah, other things that are not equal. So I'm looking forward to that. I think it just lets people use uh, various coding styles and tests more fluidly. And again, with just another like kind of awkward edge that's been filed down. Yeah. Uh, also, I think um, one thing they don't do in the release notes is shout out who did it. But mm. I've um, followed on Twitter. I followed Devin, who we had on the podcast quite some time ago. Um, but Devin has been doing a lot of these really nice, like smaller improvements uh, to XUnit that I think... You know, it's like those really nice quality of life improvements that you you don't really think about, but they're just such nice addition. So um, I just want to say thanks to him for doing all of that. Thanks, as well. Devin. Yes, I think there's other folks as well. I just explicitly calling him out because he's the one I saw recently. So <laughs> he's the one we uh, had on yeah. the show. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But yeah, I I think this is, it looks like a pretty damn good release, right? I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited about this. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. Are you using um, one point nine releases yet? Talking of releases, no, we're on Heroku right now. Ah, interesting. I so I am still on Distillery, and I haven't done the switch over yet. Mm -hmm. um, but that's something I was going to plan to do over the next couple of weeks, actually, just to stay up to date and get back onto what what the default stack is. So I guess is, without using a library, is Distillery officially or unofficially deprecated? No, because I so it's still maintained, um, and I think that's purely because it still offers some nice to haves that they didn't put into mixed releases. Um, I I think some of those are to do with hot upgrades, but I actually don't know off the top of my head. So, but I can still see like even though there's a divergence now. First of all, I hope everyone kind of standardizes around the built-in tooling, but I can see there still being a need for something that extends that and doing more. Um, so it makes sense that distillery might still exist. You know? Yeah, my question was more around, okay, if we have this built-in tool, uh, should everyone just use that? And then what's the point of the other one? Will the other one eventually kind of wither? Um, if I were starting a new project, which one should I use? Should I try to plan ahead for other features that I might need in the future and just go straight to distillery? Or should I just go with mixed release um, until further notice? I think the the short answer should be go with mixed release and um, do what's built in until you, that doesn't work for you, you know? I, like to me that's always like the best move is like you're getting something that's continuously maintained not that distillery's not but like at least you're 
you know you're up to date you're using the built-in tooling you're using like the the idiomatic way to deal with releases and i think Mm -hmm. like there's an advantage and you know this is the whole reason why it was brought into mix in the first place is to bring everyone under this kind of umbrella no pun intended right yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm cool with that. I've used Distillery quite a bit in the past, and so that probably would be what I reach for uh, when starting a new project. But maybe I should revisit that. Yeah, I yeah, I I was on that train for a long time as well, just like continuously dropping Distillery in. Um, but now I will switch over and get my Docker images all switched over, so I can do that. Yeah. Are you planning to be on Heroku for long? No, we are not. We've um, we've had it on the roadmap for a while to move over to AWS, and now it's on the roadmap for cool. Q1, so uh, we oh, hope nice. to get to that. Okay. Yeah, another month or two. Um, I'm sure I'll talk about What's it. What's your plan? Podcast. Where are you going to deploy? On straight AC2 again, or something different? Yeah, as opposed to what? Uh, I th- are you, you, Like something Dockerized or something like that? No, I'm not a big fan of Docker and right right <laughs> yeah we're just gonna previous go. listeners of this podcast might remember desmond moved off of kubernetes which is pretty much the opposite direction of what most people have been doing recently yeah i prefer less complexity over more complexity so we decided to forego kubernetes um but yeah we haven't i mean we haven't sussed out all the details yet so stay tuned right. for a future episode where we talk about some of that but it's looking like we're just going to deploy onto um very easy two instances nice mm-hmm. i uh <laughs> i had this moment the other day where i was like so i'm running on app engine which is basically like a platform as a service just on google cloud so effectively like a heroku-esque kind of thing um i had this thing the other day where i was like oh, i really want to put datadog in here but i realized that i need to customize a docker image to get datadog running and really uh, you should run like one datadog um agent per host so per machine um and i didn't really have a good way to do that so i was like oh should i just move everything to kubernetes and i was like no that's like a horrible reason to do that so um i dodged that bullet for the time being but it's still something i need to do it's not any easier if you get kubernetes in because then you have to install i know yeah i know yeah, and then, I know there's a lot of software. Yeah, and then you have to like open up these different ports between the two. I forget what they're called, but the two little things that run on like a Kubernetes cluster, not a cluster on a node. You know what I'm talking yeah, about? Faces or something? Yeah. Anyway, the point is pods. 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 Yeah, like yeah. Datadog has to be in its own pod. Yeah. Uh, and you can't have more than one of them running at any time. Yeah. And I remember working on this. I guess it was over a year ago. And it was like, you know, I remember being able to do this with just like uh, apt-get install Datadog, and then I had Datadog. Yeah, yeah. And okay, Uh if I need to add that to a chef script, like I can add that line to a chef script. And then it works, and it's fine. (laughs) I I get you. I I like some of the benefits of some of this tech tech but i yeah i'm also like i don't want to maintain a kubernetes cluster mm-hmm. either so um i also just don't want to write all the config for it even though most of this is boilerplate i just don't want to maintain it and right. deal with it yeah me um, neither yeah so i'm trying to avoid this problem in other ways i don't even know how to solve this right now so uh, like 
I guess one of the options is using the HTTP API, but that seems like a really inefficient way of delivering metrics yeah, to Datadog. So, kind of overhead. Um, yeah, exactly. So I, I was trying to figure out other ways where I could somehow run a Datadog agent on Google App Engine. And if anyone knows, please, please let me know. Um, but here, okay, so, so yeah. side tangent, we were not expecting to get into this topic on this podcast, <laughs> but this is exactly why I, I don't care for these technologies is because they don't actually make things simpler. It's just like papering over a lot of other complexity with new complexity. And then you end up spending days trying to figure out how to install like a small standalone executable on your machine just to send metrics right. out. Yeah, yeah, you have an abstraction over the machine and you're not trying to think about it in the same way. I, I Honestly... I think this is why there is a rise in serverless. Like, I think that the logical conclusion of containerization is probably something like serverless stuff. And I'm, I'm sure people are going to be yelling right now. But like, I think if you take like the idea of compute being something that can easily be horizontally scaled and your application could scale at any point with something like that and you can build incredibly like, stateless services that you can just horizontally scale over and over and over then something like serverless where everything is managed for you is like a nice conclusion to that um you know you don't have to think about how the resources are allocated it's just done you know uh sort of but then a lot of those bottleneck on some io somewhere usually oh yeah yeah yeah, for sure i'm not saying it's like the solution it's just like i can see why people want that to be an answer to this you know um yeah i i'm i'm in this point where i'm like i still like building applications this one way where i'm like i like docker i like the idea of just deploying a bunch of containers in some amount of compute resource and just letting it scale up and down and do whatever it needs to do um except for the fact that those tools are still complex and like that's the annoying part for me Mm -hmm. and i i like to be honest like ops is not my strong suit and it never has been, and I don't think it ever will be because I just don't care enough, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> it's not like I don't care about, like, running apps. I just don't care about, like, all of the fiddly setup. I'm just like, I just don't want to learn this stuff. I'd rather, like, invest time in, like, figuring out how to think about products and build services in other ways without mm-hmm. thinking about how to write YAML files to orchestrate it you know yeah i think that makes sense because like they're different disciplines and they're each you know broad enough on their own so if i like have to do it myself then i'm gonna go with like just put this executable on ec2 and call it a day and like are there some downsides to that yeah there are but like i know how to manage them um whereas if it's like i'm gonna hire someone to run ops and their full-time job will be screwing around with these configuration files like okay I guess they can set up Kubernetes if they want to, but then it's like someone's full-time job is managing this. And whenever someone raises to like, oh yeah, our team of two people will set up a Kubernetes cluster. It's like, okay, well, when are you going to find time to write the app? We have 40 microservices and two people maintaining it. It seems bad, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I I do think it's important for engineers to run what they wrote. I, d- I just want to stress that. I think that's really important. I think there is a time and a place for uh, more complex kind of deployment t- methods. And obviously, people have need for this stuff. Like, 
goes without saying, right? Like it, mm-hmm. it goes without saying that there are points in time in scaling applications where it gets really difficult and you need to think about operations as a full-time job. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to put that off for as long as possible. A, a lot of the time, I just want to like write code, have it run, have really good like visibility into how it runs. Maybe there is still an abstraction there because I'm not like running on the bare metal or whatever, and I don't like have servers under my desk. But at the same point, it's like I, yeah, I just want to, I just want to write, I want to write apps on <laughs> product code and like you know yeah just make it work and i mean that makes sense like these tools weren't designed for small companies like ours no they were designed for huge companies with fleets of data centers right uh and like i i I, don't you wish there was a world where you could utilize something as complex as that through a nicer abstraction and you didn't have to think about it no i guess that's heroku isn't it no (laughs) yeah um I, i i don't want to do that like i want to drive a car that fits me right now right i don't want to like have my like tiny car scale up to a 747 interface like if that's what i want then that's what i'm gonna go for and i think i think we we hurt ourselves a lot when we try to make what we're doing now work like scale up into the into the future and i've been at companies that are like well this process this tool or whatever it doesn't scale and uh Okay, sure. But then by building a thing that does scale, then you're solving a problem, the problems that huge companies have. So then as a small company, you're trying to solve like your small pro- small company problems and big company problems, which is like it takes us forever to do anything because we have these cumbersome tools. And like, why would you do that? I mean, you can – it's okay to solve the small thing now and then grow and then expand your mm-hmm. infrastructure and make it more sophisticated as you get bigger. Uh, I just, right. I, I've never understood the philosophy of, well, out of the gate, we need to be able to handle uh, a situation that may or may not happen in three years. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I could see a world where that makes sense if the tooling was incredibly simple to get up and started mm-hmm. and it just scaled with you and fit your needs at, you know, a lot of the time. Like you could literally, it was a suit that grew with you rather than it being too big of a suit Mm -hmm. that you never grow into, you know? Yeah. And I think we, you know, we bend over backwards trying to build the infinitely flexible suit and like it never works quite right. It doesn't fit quite right when it's small and it doesn't fit quite right when it's big. Like just buy a new suit when you outgrow the old one. (laughs) Or hire people to make the suit. Right, right, right. Because that's often what basically happens, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. Get a tailor. Yeah, which is like, uh, uh, to be honest, it's like, it's a good investment at a certain point where you have big security needs, you have scalability concerns, you know, you're obviously going to invest some money in hiring people to deal with that Mm -hmm. at that point. But, um, and obviously this isn't a one size fits all, right? Like you might have an application that you're selling in your small company, but you absolutely have to deal with these security concerns on day one. You know, the whole point I'm trying to make is that one size does not fit all. Right. So yes, right. yes, that is the yeah. point. Yeah, 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 man. I'm just gonna oh, well. go out and say, controversial opinion time. I don't think programmers are logical people. Are logical? I don't think programmers are logical people. No, that. Um, I think there's there's a, a collective fantasy that we are somehow more rational than <laughs> like general members of society, and I don't I don't think that's true at all. Yeah, I think the. 
like I think the problem there is like the cargo culting of techniques, right? Well, Without I think the, an understanding about what actually will work because I think the problem shiny new things is, are nice. is that we are just as irrational as any other human. Um, yeah, but we sort of express it in these other ways, and uh, we we couch it in terms of like, oh, well, really, this is the rational thing to do because it'll help us scale, and we don't really like recognize the emotional component of like. Oh, it's cool to do this thing. I, you know, want to be challenged technically. Other people I respect are doing it. This is the style that I learned when I was, when I was learning. Um, like, I'm afraid of not being that good at something. I'm afraid of uh, whatever. And like, all of these uh, emotional responses come out um, in different ways that we couch as rational because it's part of our like ego identity that we are rational people. And so we use these, you know, these like logic quote, logical arguments to justify things that I don't think are really logical positions to take at all. And I think we could get a lot further if we just drop that pretense and we're like, you know what, this is cool. And I want to do it because. Right. Like, okay, sure. That's fine. <laughs> this is cool. And we're all bored and <laughs> shiny new things are nice it's cool we're all bored it's like yeah welcome to why anyone does anything like it's fine yeah 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 <laughs> let's just put it isn't on the it table. like i i do think there's this thing which is like imagine the number of sh like engineering projects that get executed purely because the team is unhappy and they just wanted to do it like sure think about the millions of hours wasted on that think about like a rewrite into some you know new language or like the move to microservices several years ago people would flat out be like oh yeah our engineers were gonna leave so we thought this would like keep people on board like i've had several managers right. just say that and and no one realizes like how absurd that is right also like you i think there's something to stress here which is like i think there should be uh, a path for growth and happiness in your career and in your current like job. And hopefully it's giving you some of that fulfillment. I think inventing that is a very different thing that's not very healthy as well because people see right through it. Uh, sort of. I mean, I think it's a short term like, well, we don't want staff turnover. So we're going to give them what they want in order not to have to hire new people. Right. And then they leave because they just develop loads of new skills anyway. Well, they leave because like, you know, people leave after a certain amount of time. And if, right, right, if you're right, retaining right. them by like constantly throwing them like shiny new thing, then eventually that runs out because the underlying yep. problem is the same. The company is the same. Like you're not, the company isn't going in new directions. You're just right. retreading the same ground. And I think it's not good for the company's bottom line. And I wish there were another way for engineers to just like get that fix. I think, but I, I think like this is like honestly, like I don't think everyone should have to program all the time. But I think like side projects can be a really healthy outlet, you know. And I'm not saying everyone has to do that. And obviously, like don't do it all the time and burn yourself out. Like I think that's a very bad thing. But like I think at the same point, it's like if you have a curiosity for learning new things, like I, I think most of this job is about learning, mm -hmm. and you should be trying to optimize for the fact that you can still learn, even if it's outside of your current role. And if you get fulfillment in other ways in your current role, but you're not necessarily learning the new thing you want to learn, you don't have to leave to do that. You can also learn it on your own time if that's a thing you want to do, or try and get company sponsorship and figure out ways where you can introduce some learning time into your job, you know? Uh, maybe. I mean, I don't think that side projects ever really approach the 
the depth that you would get if you were working on something in production. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying it's like an absolute, like, this is a, it's a panacea for learning all things. But I think it's like, I still think it, I, I think it's like, I, hell, it's like the way I got started in Elixir. What about you? Did you just land a job? <laughs> Day zero? No, it's a side project. Yeah, exactly. I think it's still a good way to help. I, I also don't think that, like, as a profession, like, everyone should have to program or at all times. Otherwise, you're, like, a failed programmer. So I think there has to be, like, a healthy balance between the thing- two things as well. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That was a lot. <laughs> we didn't even mean to do that. So, <laughs> um, yeah. I think we should probably wrap up this show for this week, folks. Um, after that... Spirited discussion. Spirited discussion, indeed. Um, but... You should join us next time for another episode of Elixir Talk. I've forgotten how to do an outro. Uh, I've been Chris Bell. I'm still Desmond Bowie. And thank you so much for listening. As always, if you have any feedback about this episode or any of our other episodes, you can give that to us at twitter.com forward slash Elixir Talk. Or you can open up a GitHub issue at github.com forward slash Elixir Talk forward slash Elixir Talk. And uh, we would appreciate a review wherever you're getting this podcast today. Hopefully it's on Apple Podcasts. Give us a review there. Give us a review wherever you're getting it. We always appreciate that. And uh, yeah, that's all for this week, folks. So keep elixir in. Keep elixir in. And buy a ticket for Impex.